If you have your Bible this morning, I'd ask that you turn to Psalm chapter 77. Psalm 77. While you're turning, uh, I want to share that modern statistics on depression and anxiety are staggering. Let me give you a few from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. There's some stats you can fill in there on your note sheet if you have that this morning. Uh, Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults age 18 and older. That's 18.1% of the population every year. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only 36.9% of those suffering receive any treatment. Obsessive-compulsive disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder are closely related to anxiety disorders, which some may experience at the same time, along with depression. OCD affects 2.2 million adults, or 1% of the U.S. population. PTSD affects 7.7 million adults, 3.5% of the U.S. population. And the next stat was kind of a surprise to me. In both OCD and PTSD, women are more likely to be affected than men. Traumatic experiences like war or extreme violence in professions like firefighting and law enforcement are major causes of PTSD, but childhood sexual abuse is a strong predictor of lifetime likelihood of developing PTSD. Anxiety disorders develop from a complex set of risk factors, including genetics, brain chemistry, personality, and life events. It's all around us. And to think that good Christians don't ever get depressed just compounds the issues for those that struggle with this issue. It is sometimes easy for those that have never dealt with this to make statements like, you just need to have more faith. With God, all things are possible. We are supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. When you take a a glance at the great characters of the Old Testament, you see many of them dealing with this issue of depression. We hear Jonah asking God twice to just take his life. It is better that I die than live. Why did he get so low and, and no longer want to live? Because God spared the lives of 120,000 repentant Ninevites. And the fact that a God-sent worm ruined his shade tree. Jonah had issues. And we were left not knowing the rest of the story. There's King David. He thinks he's covered up his sin of adultery and murder. But God knows all about it and reveals it to the prophet Nathan. And in Psalm 32, David shares the way he felt with his unconfessed sin that was in his heart. It says in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In Psalm 51, David said it felt like his bones were broken and he wanted to be able to rejoice again. What about Job? Satan points him out as a man blessed by God, but God take all that away. 
and see what Job does. So Satan is given permission to do this. And almost instantly everything, his family, his possessions, are taken away from him. And in Job 7, we see him struggling. He wonders why this is happening to him and doubts he will ever recover. He has no hope. But we know by the end of the story, Job is better off. The list goes on and on. If we're honest, probably all of us have had dry seasons in our lives. Listen to this quote by Chip Ingram in his book, I Am Always With You. He writes, All of our lips have spoken the words of discouragement and depression. All of our hearts have felt it. Every one of us has known at one time or another the slap of setback, the grief of loss, or the disheartening effects of stress. To be human is to feel that numbing, exhausting, demoting, demotivating fog of depression. Would you stand with me as we read the following in Psalm 77, beginning in verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit fails. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me, re- let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate, meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion, Selah? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God, there are times in our lives that we don't understand how you work. It seems as though sometimes you are silent, sometimes you are far from us, And God, sometimes that is hard to understand. And we know what our will is. But God, sometimes your will is different from ours. God, I pray this morning that you'd help us to understand, maybe in a little better way, the way you work. To learn more about your character. And God, when we have these 
tough questions that Asaph posed this morning in Psalm 77 that we'll think back and remember your great faithfulness. Help us, God, this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Most of the Psalms identify with something that was going on with Israel at a specific time or an individual. But in Psalm 77, we do not have any indication of a specific event. This is penned by Judathan and quoted by Asaph. Both men were music worship leaders appointed by David. Jonathan, you want to take over? No, okay. Okay, we'll move on. Even though it is Asaph sharing uh, what he's going through and can be applied to us individually, Psalm 77 is considered a community lament. Considering the people of God being in a low condition. We're going to see this morning some great things that Asaph did to get out of this ditch of depression and some not so great things that he did. But we can learn from both individually and also as a group of believers. So the first thing is a great thing. Verses 1 through 6, he cries out to God. He cries out to God. In fact, he repeats this in verse 1 for emphasis. He also gives the end result. Being that he's writing this rhetorically, he knows that God in the end does hear him. But we are going to hear some familiar challenges of things that Asaph does that many times we do. Now, it doesn't go on record here saying that Asaph did this one, but how many times do we go everywhere else looking for a solution to our problem and the last resort turn to God. Now, I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings if you have one of these, but I've seen t-shirts, I've seen bumper stickers that say this, when all else fails, read the instructions. And usually there's a picture there of a Bible. You've seen that. Folks, I don't mean to be ugly or anything, but that's bad advice. That's bad advice. Why not turn to God from the beginning? Not when all else fails. Go to God first. Well, God has a lot bigger problems to deal with than my little stuff. Maybe that's our issue. In Matthew 10, 29 through 30, Jesus explains that God knows when a sparrow falls. And you are of greater value. And then in verse 30, that God knows the number of hairs on your head. Now I know for some of you, as you get older, that's not that big of a deal. (laughs) Right, Ned? Seeing Patrick? Yeah, you with me? Thank you. Thank you. I hear that. So here's the thing. God knows us personally, folks. Number two, and this is not such a great thing. At first, Asaph is totally focused on himself and his current situation. Losing hope in an almighty, unchanging God. In verses 1 through 6, we hear Asaph literally use a personal pronoun 20 different times. He was in a tough spot, but all he could think about was himself and this awful situation that he was currently in. And it's the same for us. 
when we are going through a tough time, we pray for a solution. Even at night when we wake up. Verse 2. People try to talk to us or talk with us about it, and it doesn't help. We can't be comforted. Verse 2. I think about God and wonder why this is happening. Verse 3. I try to think of a solution, and it only leads to frustration. Verse 3. I can't sleep. I can't talk. I I can remember that God has blessed me in the past and how I love to worship. But what has happened? All of this seems to be gone. And it says at the end of verse 6, Then my spirit made a diligent search. Look back with me at verse 7. He says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Will God refuse or reject us with contempt and never accept us ever again? What about the covenant promises you made with Adam, Noah, Abraham, with Moses, with David? Look at verse 8. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Does God love us anymore? Do his promises mean nothing to us? Look at verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Has grace been forgotten and God is so angry that his compassion is gone? You know, it's hard to even say and question and make these criticisms of God this morning. But what begins as harsh criticism from Asaph turns into snapping him back into the reality of who God really is. Has anyone ever made you verbalize something that you were upset about? And as you verbalize that issue, in the midst of your out loud statement, you realize how foolish that problem really is. In this passage right here, at this point, Asaph does a complete 180. And as he verbalizes these things about God out loud, do you think he realized how really foolish those things sounded and really were? And then number three, a great thing. Remember who God really is and what he has done. Look at verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. You know, I like the way the New King James Version translates this verse. It says, this is my anguish. But I'll remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Asaph finally admits that this is his problem. God doesn't have a problem. God is fully aware of Asaph's struggle and our struggles. Could it be that God allows us to experience these tough situations to strengthen us? To make us lean on Him and to help those that will have these struggles down the road in the future? There are numerous examples of this in Scripture, but one that comes to my mind is the thorn that the Apostle Paul dealt with. Do you remember that? You can, you can stay here. Let me, let me turn over to uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 
It's chapter 12. If you want to go back later and read it, you can. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. It says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And this is, listen to this one. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you hear the Apostle Paul? He realized that through these times of weaknesses, weaknesses, God is exalted. God is magnified. And then we go back to Psalm 77, verse, verse 10. Asaph uses the phrase, the right hand of the Most High. Now this phrase, right hand, is used to describe the displayed power of God. It, uh, is this the right hand of a strong man or, or a powerful politician? Is this right hand of a military machine? Is this right hand of a prosperous economy? Is this even the right hand of godly people? No, it is the right hand of the power of the most high. He remembered the years of God's displayed power. And he reiterates this in verse 11 and verse 12. Look at it. He says, I will remember, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. Stop right there. Asaph remembers God's wonders of old. His works, his mighty deeds... It doesn't specifically say which ones Asaph remembered, but what are some of the ones you remember? Think about the Old Testament for just a moment. What about the flood and the ark that saved Noah and his family and the animals? What about Abraham, who was called out to become a great nation? Folks, think about it. Israel's still here. Israel is still here. God's work in Joseph. His life seemed terrible, even evil at times. God preserved a nation and a people through Joseph. We'll talk a little bit more about him in just a moment. The era of the judges. I mean, you think about Gideon and Samson. Some of those stories of the judges. And then the prophets and the, and the kings. This would have been Asaph's scope. We can, be go, we can go beyond that scope. We know about a promised Messiah and his fulfillment of God's plan for man's reconciliation to God through the cross and the resurrection. You know, there are times, I hope you have these times, that I am blown away by the love of God. Especially when my flesh comes out. Why would God who knows everything about me, be willing to love me 
Be willing to send His own Son to be tortured and die for me. When we think that we are truly forgiven. We had a lady stop by her office a couple weeks ago. She was desperate. She came in, she said, I just felt like I needed to stop by the office and talk to a pastor. Well, I was there and over in my office they called and said, Kevin, would you come over and talk to this lady? And I took uh, Jason, our summer intern, with me and we went back into one of the offices and she started pouring out her heart about what's been going on in her life and big tears came up in her eyes and she was desperate. And I said, can I, can I share with you what Jesus has done? And I began to share with her the gospel and talk to her about forgiveness. I said, I want you to imagine right now taking all of the sins that are in your life, putting them in a big bag and hanging them over your shoulder and walking with that bag right now. How would that bag feel? She said, heavy. I want you to think about this. Jesus saying, let go of that bag and be forgiven. Now how would you feel? She said, what a relief. You can be forgiven. Folks, we forget about that. I don't know that we can get the scope of that. I don't think we'll totally understand that until we stand before God one day and he looks at us, he looks at me and says, Kevin, you've been forgiven. Wow. We ought to be blown away. When we look at how God has graciously blessed us over and over, those problems that we are faced with right now begin to fade away don't they? Look at verse 13. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Asaph remembered that God is holy and incomparable. There is not another God like our God. He's incomparable and he's holy. Now, When you think about in the scripture, when people physically experienced the presence of God and his holiness, what was their first response? Fear. Think about it. Fear. Moses at the burning bush, he removed his sandals and and hid his face, right? When Moses went in to hear the Lord, he would come out and his face would be shining. And the people said, Moses, put on a veil. We can't look at you. We're frightened. We don't want to see that. The glory of God was was shining off of Moses' face. The prophet Isaiah fell down like a dead man, saying, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. John says in Revelation 1, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why is this first response of God's holiness, fear? Let me give you two reasons, I think. They felt inadequate in the presence of true holiness. It will go beyond words to actually be in the presence of Almighty God. Have you ever tried to think about this? Of what it will be like to be in the presence of the one who creates matter out of nothing with his words? 
The one who is not controlled by time and space, but is in control of it and designed it? The one who created human, human life in his own image? To one day hear him call you by name and understand that he really knows you. Folks, that will be a humbling day. Amen? Let's look back at verses 14 and 15. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. Now, why does God pick Jacob? I can understand him picking Joseph. Joseph remained faithful after being sold into slavery by his very own brothers. After going to jail for a crime that he did not commit. You remember Potiphar's wife? Waiting years in jail, in a dungeon, to finally be used by God to save the future nation of Israel. Joseph, I get. But Jacob? The one who lived up to his name, Trickster? The one who deceived and lied to his father and older brother and tricked him out of the blessing and birthright. In Genesis 32, though, God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. From trickster to one who strives or wrestles with God. Not only was it a name change, but it's an indicator that Jacob had changed. And God was able to use Jacob for his purposes. Folks, this ought to encourage us. God can use the compliant like Joseph. And God can use the strong-willed like a Jacob. Have you been a Jacob? Do you have a child that is a Jacob? Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Keep praying because God can use a trickster. Maybe Asaph was identifying with Jacob after the comments that he had just made about God and was reminding himself, those that would read this, maybe even God, of Jacob's outcome. Now I want you to look back. Let's look at verses 16 through the end of the chapter. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He goes back to the story of Exodus. Here we see the crossing of the Red Sea. But I want you to think of the story for a moment of Exodus. The tenth plague has just happened. The Bible says in Exodus 22 that every Egyptian household, from Pharaoh down to the pauper, was affected. Everyone's firstborn had died. And not just their firstborn, but even the, the animals. The firstborn of every animal. Everyone in Egypt was out burying animals or planning funerals. 
Pharaoh finally agrees to let the Israelites go. It mentions 600,000 men on foot. Now these would have been the fighting men over the age of 20. So conservative estimates of this group would have been 2 million people. Some estimate even up to 5 million, somewhere in that area. You know, 85 youth and 10 adults just went to Snowbird last week. That's a crowd to plan for. Who wants to go ahead and plan the the 2 million plus retreat? Anybody on board? Can you imagine that? God tells them in their journey to change directions and set up a camp in a place where they were surrounded. They were sitting ducks. They had water on this side. They were sort of in a valley and mountains on this side. And and if you look at the map, they, they were sitting ducks, but God told them to go there. You think, why in the world would God do something like that? It doesn't make any human sense. But in Exodus 4, 14, 4, it says this. It was so the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Is that why we deal with some of these issues? Does it look like that God is silent or, or takes us into a place of trouble? He may be saying, wait a minute. This is so that people, that you may know that I am the Lord. Pharaoh realizes that he has let their force of servants go. His heart is once again hardened. He puts together a huge army to go and get them back. This is going to be easy, he thinks. They're surrounded, and Egypt, our army, will easily easily overpower them. Word gets to the front that the Egyptians are coming. This is really bad. They complain to Moses. Were there not enough graves in Egypt to be buried there for you to bring us out into the wilderness that we die? Moses is instructed to lift his staff and stretch his hand over the sea, and God causes a great wind to come and divide the sea so that the nation of Israel can pass through on dry ground. The Egyptians tried to follow them, but after Israel is safely on the other side, Moses again is told to lift his staff, to put his hand over the sea, and the sea went back to its normal state, destroying the entire Egyptian army. By all standards, this was humanly impossible. We've had some great movies that have tried to recreate this scene. We've built some great structures like the Hoover Dam that hold a lot of water back. But none of this could have been done by man. Can you imagine being there and seeing that whole situation unfold? Israel witnessed God's right hand. Asaph was reminding himself and others. Folks, are you in a situation right now that is humanly impossible to fix? You've been crying out to God, but you have been the center and motivation of your petition. You may even question God like Asaph. Maybe some of the same questions. Will God never accept me back or ever look favorably on me again? If you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, you have not been rejected. 
Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Has God forgotten his promises? Hebrews 6.18 tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. He will keep his promises in his time, not ours. Is God so angry that he has forgotten grace and mercy? 1 Peter 5.5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lamentations 3.22-23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Aren't you glad that God's love for us is not dependent on our faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness? God is fully aware of your Red Sea Egyptian army situations. Fully aware. The question is, will you let him handle it? Be obedient. If he asks you, like Moses, to raise your staff figuratively or stretch out your hand figuratively, listen and obey. But then let him, the all-powerful, almighty God, handle it. Folks, God's got this. Amen? Let's pray together. God, sometimes it is very good to be reminded of how great and how awesome you are. And in reality, how small we really are. God, there are times on clear nights that I will go outside and I'll look up in the sky and I'll see all the stars and all of your creation and how vast it really is. And I think in my heart, God, I am so small. And it's like you whisper in my ear, but I still love you. Jesus died for you. I will take care of you. God, thank you. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve any of it. But God, you've chosen to care and love for us to the point you'd send your very own son to die, to hang on a cross he didn't deserve, and to pay my way and to take my place. God, thank you. I pray that that realization will never, ever grow old for me and for those in the sound of my voice. And I pray we would trust you and let you handle these things, God. Thank you. Help us, God. Trust in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.